Occasionally, some of you will suggest sermon topics. And three times in the last two months, I received calls or voicemails suggesting compassion as a sermon topic. It's no surprise that many of us might feel the need for more compassion in our hurting world today. More compassion for one another, for victims of injustice, for the planet, in our policies, in our government, in our discourse. As I approached the passages for today and began to study them, keeping in mind the two questions I often do, what is God up to and what is God inviting us to, it did not surprise me that compassion emerged as a theme. Compassion is what God is up to. It's what God is always up to. As we delve into the word together, let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O compassionate one, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Literally, compassion means to suffer together. It's to have consciousness for another's distress with a desire to alleviate it. The Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley reports that among emotion researchers, compassion is defined as the feeling that arises when you're confronted with another suffering and you feel motivated to relieve that suffering. While empathy more generally refers to our ability to take on another's perspective, to feel what they feel, compassion includes the desire to help. And research shows that when we feel compassion, our heart rate slows. We secrete the bonding hormone oxytocin and regions of the brain linked with caregiving and feelings of pleasure light up. And this often results in our taking the step to offer help. And what happens when we do offer help, putting that compassion into action? Think about your own experience. We can imagine the good fruits of healing, calm, relief, restoration, with both the giver and receiver feeling loved. In our scripture today, we hear stories about the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings and Jesus and his disciples in Matthew's gospel. The story shares some common elements, chaos, weariness, and fear. Elijah was a Hebrew prophet and miracle worker sent by Yahweh, Israel's name for God, to warn the Israelites to stop forsaking the covenant God made with them. Ahab is king at the time, and he married a Sidonian woman named Jezebel. And he began to worship Baal, the God of her people. And the Israelites followed suit. Queen Jezebel has been steadily killing off the prophets of Yahweh and Elijah alone is left. The people ignore Elijah's warnings against this idolatry. <clears throat> so he challenged Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal to gather at Mount Carmel where he would prove that Yahweh is the one true God and that Baal was no God at all. You can read all the details in 1 Kings 18, how through a miraculous display of fireworks by the God of Israel, the people came to their senses and returned to Yahweh again. Elijah then proceeded to kill all 450 
Baal's prophets. When Jezebel heard, she was furious and was determined to retaliate in kind. Elijah, terrified, ran for his life far into the desert. A messenger of God, we're told, led him to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. And this is where our story picks up today. Elijah hiding in a cave, completely worn out, in deep despair, wishing for death. Chaos, weariness, and terror fill the gospel scene as well. Jesus, like Elijah, is a miracle-working Hebrew prophet of the holy God of Israel, healing multitudes of their diseases, those who come near and far just to get close to him. Jesus is weary. And on top of that, he had just learned that King Herod had Jesus' beloved cousin John the Baptist murdered and deeply grieved. Jesus withdrew to a quiet place to be alone, to pray. But a crowd of thousands hoping for healing soon found him. And beholding them, Jesus had compassion for them. And he came out of his solitude and began to heal them. When evening came, the crowd is now hungry. There is no food around except a few loaves of bread and some fish. And out of that meager amount of food, Jesus is able to create enough food for his disciples to feed 5,000 plus people. By now, Jesus and the disciples are exhausted from the chaos and strain of caring for the huge crowd. And so they retreat. The disciples get into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes off by himself to pray and recover. But then more chaos ensues as our story tells us today. The winds pick up on the sea. The growing waves threaten to capsize the boat of terrified disciples. And as if that was not enough, they suddenly see something or someone coming toward them. Perceiving it's a ghost in great terror, they cry out in fear. Chaos, weariness, fear. All these trouble Elijah, Jesus, and the disciples, and the world around them. Can you relate? We live in a new world. In many ways, a great departure from the one we knew just five months ago. And rationally, we know that as finite humans, we have very little control over outcomes, over the future, our plans for breakfast tomorrow or for our retirement decades from now. 2020 keeps showing us that life is uncertain. A pandemic invades our world and our normal ceases. Our well-established comfortable routines are disrupted. We're still trying to figure out a new normal. We wonder how our kids will get educated this year, how we will find or afford childcare how we will keep our jobs or secure a new one, how we will pay our bills. We wonder if isolation will lead to greater loneliness and more depression and rampant addiction. And we wonder if those things will finally overtake us or those we love. We wonder if racial justice and freedom for all the oppressed will ever become a reality. 
We wonder when humans will learn how to share God's good gifts of food, water, shelter, income, so that everyone has enough and peace on earth can finally prevail. And we wonder when we humans will stop harming our planet and God's creatures great and small. We wonder if and when we will be tested, COVID-19 positive. Chaos, weariness, fear. We know something about these things. In that cave on Mount Horeb, Elijah collapsed and wishing to die. Out of nowhere, hears the voice of God saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then that voice, whom Elijah knows is from God, listens, really listens as Elijah shares his troubles. God longs to meet Elijah's chaos, weariness, and fear with God's very presence. So God tells Elijah to get ready. Elijah waits in a devastating wind an earthquake and fire rage across the mountain of God. But none of that was God. Next, Elijah hears sheer silence, also translated as a still small voice. Elijah knew that was God. Quiet, peace. With love and compassion, the still small voice of God spoke again. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's me. I'm here. I will help you. Do not be afraid. In all the chaos of the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee, as the disciples grow increasingly weary trying to keep their boat afloat, as their fear intensifies, as that perceived ghost gets closer to them, the disciples suddenly hear, be encouraged. It's me. I'm here. I will help you. Don't be afraid. Peter, realizing this may be their rabbi, Jesus, wants to come to him. Jesus says, come. Peter begins to walk on the water until he felt the wind's force and saw the ever-growing waves. Frightened and distracted, Peter begins to sink. And he shouts, Lord, rescue me. And Jesus, whose name means to rescue, with love and compassion, reaches out his hand and grabs Peter. And together, they got into the boat. The wind ceased, and there was quiet, peace. On a recent Moth Radio Hour episode, James Shooter tells his story of compassion of being in Berlin, Germany, the night the Berlin Wall fell. The wall was a guarded concrete barrier that physically and ideologically divided the city of Berlin from 1961 to 1989, cutting off West Berlin from East Germany, as well as from East Berlin. The wall became known as the Iron Curtain, a symbol of oppression preventing East Germans from freely traveling to West Berlin or to the rest of free Western Europe. The wall was built to prevent defections from East Germany, from those longing for freedom. In November 1989, after several weeks of unrest, 
these German government announced that its citizens could go visit West Berlin and West Germany. Finally, East Germans were euphoric. And on that day, crowds of East Germans crossed through the checkpoints into West Berlin. Thousands climbed on top of the wall, joined there by crowds from West Germans, from West Germany, who also climbed up. And together, they celebrated. James Shooter was one of those, coming in with his friends from West Berlin. They climbed on top of that iron curtain and celebrated. And Shooter recalls looking over into East Berlin and right in front of them was a line of a couple of hundred well-armed East German soldiers. And beyond them was no man's land, then a barbed wire fence near the East German side. And Shooter reports that as he looked, a commotion suddenly interrupted the throng of the celebration and reports that the silence of the crowd of thousands watching was the loudest thing he has ever heard. For this is what they saw. An East German man came running toward the fence, climbed the barbed wire fence on the East German side, came running right into no man's land. The East German soldiers reacted instantly and began running straight toward the man. And then the sheer silence continued as everyone witnessed and wondered what would happen. As the soldiers surrounded the man, the officer from the guard tower of the wall came down from the tower, walked toward the man and spoke to him briefly. Then the officer took the man's hand and walked him over to the West German side. The officer then cupped his hands for the man's foot then lifted the man into the arms of all the people waiting on top of the wall. Shooter says that the emotion and ecstasy that erupted from that crowd was the most amazing thing he has ever heard. An act of unexpected compassion from an East German soldier, a perceived enemy silenced a crowd of thousands as they watched. Quiet, peace, where the moment before and for decades before was chaos, weariness, and fear. Friends, our compassionate God loves us unconditionally and longs to meet us in our own chaos, weariness, and fear. God's compassionate, still, small voice calls out to us, be encouraged. It's me. I will help you. Don't be afraid. At times, though, in the noisy storms of life, it may be hard to hear or even to believe that God is near, actually seeing us and hearing us. It may be hard to feel the presence of Jesus in the boat with us when the waves threaten to capsize us. We are finite humans. These things are bound to happen. But God understands and God abides, calls and cares until we can hear and can believe. Our part can be to cultivate our contemplative life by taking time to get still and quiet even a little bit each day so that we can listen and learn to hear. 
Our part can also be to practice asking for help, to grab the compassionate helping hand of Jesus that is always extended to us from the one who rescues us. And perhaps the best way to cultivate our awareness of God's voice and presence by divine design is to practice acts of compassion ourselves. What we pay attention to grows. By focusing on sharing God's compassion with others, as the scripture says, the peace of Christ that surpasses our understanding will grow in us and therefore in others and therefore in the world. You already do practice compassion by loving your family, welcoming a stranger, offering a kind smile and a thank you to those at the stores you frequent, offering your presence today for our virtual worship. And let me recall a few of the communal acts of compassion carried out by you, the Knox community, while also sharing an invitation for those of you looking for ways to love and serve. First, this past week, a group of Knox volunteers gathered to fill backpacks with new school supplies for the children in the Third Church community. Over 100 of you donated money or supplies for this annual drive. And there were enough donations to help the children of families housed uh, through IHN, the Interfaith Hospitality Network, which cares for homeless people. Thanks be to God and for you through your compassion, these children living in poverty can begin school feeling more equipped and with more peace and joy. Knox Church and Third Church share a meal ministry. Our friends at Third distribute 50 to 70 meals every day to those in need in their East Westwood community. These meals are made by some of you. They are delivered to Third by some of you every week and there's a need for more of you who feel called to engage nutritious meals they don't have to be fancy we would love to know if you can help feel free to contact me and i'll connect you with the organizers thanks be to god and thank you every year your knox deacons lead a phone call ministry with the goal of reaching out to the knox community to simply say to every member how are you? And to let them know they're cared for and remembered. And as we know, Knox is a large church and needs many callers in order to reach everyone. Could you make some calls? The deacons welcome you. All that is needed is willingness and a kind heart. We even provide a, a short script. I'm happy to connect you. Thanks be to God and to you for this ministry of compassion. And it's not only other humans that need for us to share God's compassion, but our whole planet. Before God created us and called us good, the scripture tells us God created the sky, the earth, the oceans, the plants and animals and every living creature and called it all good. And then God put us here to live in harmony with and to care for this planet and every creature. Today, August 9, and this past week, August 6, 
are the 75th anniversaries of the U.S. bombings of the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. Those atomic bombs killed over 140,000 residents, plus aid workers who then died from radiation. The cities and the land miles around them were obliterated. The Presbyterian Church USA's Office of Public Witness in Washington, D.C. offers regular action alerts about such efforts as the Planet Act, which stands for Preserving Leadership Against Nuclear Explosives Testing, an act that addresses nuclear test threat to human life and to God's creation. We included a link in your worship link so you can learn more or go to the PCUSA.org website also where you can learn more and, and learn how you can support this act and other ways that you can show God's compassion and love for the earth. And friends, perhaps the most accessible way to practice compassion is through prayer, which is perhaps the most powerful way in ways we may never know. Prayer is simply joining God in a conversation that God is already having with and for us on our behalf, on the world's behalf. Little to no words are necessary, for God knows what's going on. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. And that same Spirit moves and equips us to intercede for others. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, describes intercessory prayer in a way I find to be helpful. He says, we don't need to give God a list of requests or demands. Sometimes words get in the way, he said. He said, simply hold the image and sense of the person or situation in the presence of God. Just let God in and hold it there. That's the bottom line. Your Knox deacons join an intercessory prayer together every month for the congregation, lifting to God name by name and letting God hold it. You might see your name one day in the Knox prayer list. Every month they publish the list of new names they've prayed for. And you too can pray in this way anytime, day or night, for whatever you're troubled by or hopeful or grateful for. Whatever your prayer focus is, simply hold it before God and surrender the outcomes to God. If you need to use words, a faithful catch-all prayer is simply, God, your will, not mine, be done. And we can trust this, for the will of our compassionate God is always good. We invite you to try intercessory prayer. You may wish to use the Knox Weekly Prayer List found in your worship link and just lift up the names to God. Friends, to paraphrase the wisdom of Scotsman Ian McLaren, be compassionate for everyone you meet is carrying a heavy burden. God knows that we are too. Be encouraged that in any of our chaos, weariness, and fear, and any of that of those we love, God meets us with quiet to offer us peace. 
Jesus gets into the boat with us without fail. Listen and hear the voice of compassion calling to us. It's me. I am right here. I will help you. Don't be afraid. Thanks be to God. Amen.